Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo. Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings with you. It's August 6, day 14 of the Games, and Australia's lucky day 13 started out strong but ended with disappointment last night with reigning champions, the Kookaburras, going down to Belgium. Skeet, you put one of the all-time great jinxes on them. That's a little bit harsh, Ben, (laughs) considering it was a penalty which decided... The outcome of the gold medal, but my tips historically can stop a train. So, uh, in the words of the Fonz, I was almost wrong. Yes, I was wrong. But (laughs) I tell you what, they were terrific, the Kookaburras, and unfortunately for them, they miss out on their chance to win a second gold medal at the Olympics. They've been such a good team for so long, but only the one Olympic gold back in 2004 to show for it. So, I was out there at the Perth Hockey Stadium last night. A lot of the family members, partners, were there riding every wave of emotion through those four quarters. And then um, at the end, it's a heartbreaking way to decide. Uh, We saw it with the Euros, and we see it with the gold medal match in the hockey yesterday. Um, Penalties coming down to who can keep their composure. The goalkeeper for Belgium was outstanding. They get their just rewards, and the Australians know slight on them at all winning silver but perhaps I think on the night to be fair the better team may have won because they did have more possession and more chances particularly in the first half. Yeah look and I give you a bit of a hard time but uh, you were right the Kookaburras were undefeated in regulation throughout the whole games and it was only in that overtime shootout uh, it won all at the end of uh, the regulation minutes and then they lost 3-2 in the shootout you know it's a it's a hard way to to lose the gold, but, you know, they'll they'll regroup. And... and, and of course, we're all armchair experts, but you look back and, and you ask a couple of hockey people, why didn't, for instance, in uh, the the penalty uh, deciding moments of that final, uh, Eddie Ockenden or Aaron Zalewski not take uh, one of those? It's a question we're probably not best to answer from our position, but those in hockey asking maybe more experienced players or a couple of experienced players be put in that situation. But it's done and dusted. We get a silver. In fact, the team sports have been a bit heartbreaking for us over the past day or so, haven't they? Yeah, we'll just look at the Matildas. Missed out on bronze going down to Team USA 4-3 yesterday. No shame in that. Team USA are definitely superstar team of women's football. Uh, and the Matildas, you know, brave in defeat. Uh, Sam Kerr, another goal, became the highest scoring uh, player for the Matildas in history. And uh, fair to say, uh, you, you wonder out loud about where she sits in West Australians in terms of athletes that we've produced and um, Luke Longley uh, who of course so much success at NBA level but yeah she's certainly making her mark as, as one of the great Australian sports women and uh, you could tell that the ladies had given their all unfortunately the Americans as you say just a bit too good on the day. Mm. And yesterday's unlucky day unfortunately started with the Boomers going down to the USA. Uh, they now have to play for bronze but even if they do succeed and beat Slovenia for that bronze medal. It'll be the best we've ever done an Olympics in 14 attempts. Absolutely, and that's uh, the key. Still get a medal. Of course, the Americans, uh, we led by double figures at one stage. So, unfortunately for us, uh, we knew they had two, three, four gears to get through. The Americans, they did that. Kevin Durant, 23 points, outstanding. And, uh, look, they're going to win the gold medal, of course, and the women's likely to do so today as well for the the women's side of the draw. I just feel the Australians um, couldn't sustain their defensive intensity for long enough. But, of course, one of our special guests will be able to expand on that very shortly. And I guess today knows all too well the frustration of just missing out on a bronze. He's going to join us now. WA's elite athletes on the podium. 
Joining us now is a four-time Olympian, a legend in WA and world basketball, and just a genuinely good guy. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew Vlahov. Thank you very much. Hope you guys are well. Yeah, we're doing really well. The Olympics has just been incredible. Now tell us, were you on the edge of your seat yesterday watching the Boomers? Oh, my goodness. Um, I got very, very excited there in the second quarter when we were up 15, <laughs> and I thought, this is, is this going to be the day? Uh, but alas, uh, the US kicked it up another notch, and, um, you know, we, we really didn't have an answer for them. But it was, it was fantastic to watch our boys take it straight to them. And so what emotion did you end up with in the end? Because it's, it's, it's hard to say disappointment because I, I think they went into the game clearly as the underdogs. Oh, 100%. And as much as even though we beat, you know, the US in an exhibition match in Melbourne and then again in Vegas, uh, it doesn't what, – what probably most people don't understand is that the US doesn't play together. So they get a bunch of individuals that come together and then once they've been together, that, that chemistry process starts to develop – Roles get better defined, and then by the back end of the tournament, they start hitting their straps. And, and I think that's exactly what we found yesterday is, um, is we came up against a team that had made significant improvements since we saw them a couple of weeks ago. So, Andrew, how did the injury and loss of Aaron Baines hurt us, do you reckon? Yeah, it's a big loss because he's our big unit. And Bogues being out, um, you know, his body basically, you know, putting her up the red flag, um, that left the big heavy work to, to Bainsey. Um, and, you know, it, it's hard to, qu- I guess, quantify the, the loss, but um, you could you could mark it down as significant. Uh, but in, in saying that in the same breath, I think Landale and Nick Kay have done a tremendous job for Australia. Yeah, I think they really stood up. I think you're 100% right there. And talking about people who've stood up, Paddy Mills, uh, what about him this tournament? His leadership must have impressed you. Oh, incredibly, and you know, started with the the honour of uh, the flag bearer. Um, but he's just a you know, he's just a quality person. Um, clearly, you know, a really important part of the nucleus of that team that's been together now for uh, three Olympics, and and without doubt, the on floor leader. Um, you know, our offence generally runs through his hands, and um, when he's on, we're on. Um, but what's been really good, I think, in this Olympics is that we've looked, we've been able to see that we've actually a bit more than a one-dimensional team, and um, that's been really good. And that'll that'll also hold us very good uh, for for the future. Yeah. Well, now let's talk about the bronze medal match, which is what lies ahead for the Boomers if they can beat Slovenia tomorrow. And that'll be the best we've ever done at an Olympics. How do you reckon we're going to go? The uh, the Slovenians, of course, Luka Doncic has had an amazing uh, tournament so far. He's averaging about twenty six points, but he was wasn't that great against France. Yeah, they they seem to work him out a little bit, but um, Doncic would be, in my opinion, in the top two or three players in the world, and that includes Kevin Durant. Um, so I think he's obviously going to be a handful, um, but I think it's also a matter of, you know, if I was coaching, I'd be thinking about the other four guys on the team in, in making sure that they are less than average. Doncic is literally unstoppable. So you just got to limit him as best you can, but then be able to close out those other guys that so they are having sub-performance games or sub-par games, and that's what, you know, quite honestly, we used to do with uh, the Melbourne Tigers and Andrew Gaze. We actually used to tell him to keep shooting because then his teammates used to get pissed off with him. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as, as long as only one player on the other team doing all the scoring, you're probably going to be en- you end up all right. 
That's right. He's not going to score 100. He might get 40, but we really held everyone else to uh, below numbers. Um, we generally ended up with a win, and that was our strategy. And, and how do you think the boomers are going to go against Slovenia? Look, I think it's a, it's well matched. Um, we've got our work cut out for them. Look, when you get into that upper echelon, you know, the top four, anyone can win on the day. And, you know, had we been able to keep maintaining our shooting percentages and been able to get stops against the US, we'd be playing in the gold medal game. But it is very difficult. So you've got to be able to, you know, weather the storms as they come, um, but hold true to, you know, your game plan overall. And I think our game plan will be, you know, very, very solid in terms of, who we are as Australia, we'll be defensively orientated, we'll have a very good defensive strategy and then, you know, generally our offence takes care of itself. Now tell us about your Olympic experience for Olympics, that's a pretty epic achievement. Yep, finished four three times too, so still going <laughs> dealing with that on therapy and um, um, you know, unfortunately well I think fortunately I was lucky to play in a, in a magnificent era uh, of basketball and sort of the coming of age of the boomers and you know, probably that that establishment of the, you know, the benchmark of where we have an expectation to be in the world. Um, it was fun to be part of that that group. Um, but you know, I love the Olympics. It's um, it's been very difficult to get work done in the last couple of weeks, but um, it's it's something that it's a it's a time when I think um, you always look forward to. And and I always like to, or certainly since I've got a bit older, um, started looking at all the other sports like that skateboard kid yesterday. Tizzy made me laugh. Um, <laughs> He's just so so cool, casual, 18-year-old gold medalist, you know. How cool is that? Um, but just being, you know, being plugged into the national pride, I love it. Um, I love being Australian and um, and I love being West Australian. So when when we, when we I watch the Olympics and I keep the eye out for the West Aussies as well um, and just watching them do well is it's fun. It's just, it's, um, it's exactly what this country needed uh, at this point in time. Yeah, and now let's talk about America. We call them the dream team, but, you know, the reality is back in your day at the 92 Olympics, that was the original and arguably the best dream team. Like, tell us a bit about what the aura was around that group. You, Larry Bird, the Michael Jordan, absolute legends. Oh, I've said this before. There is only one dream team, and that was it. The rest have just been, you know, attempted cookie cuts of that. Um, but... You'll never get that many Hall of Famers, that absolute icons of the game, on the floor at one time ever again. Um, and so when you look at, you know, the ability of those guys, what they achieved in their individual and team careers, to then change the game um, into such a formidable uh, unit. Uh, and, and mind you, Team USA in those, those you know, later iterations haven't always won the gold. Um, and... And that just shows, too, that the rest of the world has caught up, which is, you know, exactly what we're experiencing here with Australia. So, you know, the, the, that dream team was the best ever, and I, I can't see it ever, ever being equaled. Yeah, and uh, you can just look at the NBA, and you see now all of the different countries represented in that in that uh, competition and players doing so well as well. Uh, it's not just, a, you know, the USA and everybody else anymore. And now, and now looking at the rest of the world, America up against France, gold medal match. The, fr the French have looked pretty good this tournament. Do you reckon they've got a crack? Oh, absolutely. Um, they beat, for, you know, the US in their, in their pool game, so they know what it takes. Um, but again, I'll go back to my earlier point about the US that they saw in, in game one of the pool games is not the US that they'll see in the gold medal game. And so I think the, the difference France will see uh, will be significant. Um, 
But, you know, France are no slouches. They've got, I think, seven or eight NBA guys themselves. Um, and then again, playing for, you know, the whatever they call themselves, the, the Blue or, or the Frogs or whatever they are, um, <laughs> they, uh, they would be, you know, used to playing with each other. So their team chemistry will be good uh, and probably better than the US. But just on pure talent levels, if Durant plays like he did against us, I don't think France has got much of a chance. And do you think there could be a bit of a revenge in the air for, for the Team USA? Because in that game against France, they were they were out of sorts. Lillard, you know, he was throwing up bricks. He couldn't hit a, a shot to save his life. Durant didn't play well. Afterwards, it looked like, you know, they it wasn't so much shock as... And maybe it was shock. There was just a look on their face of complete disbelief uh, that they'd been upstaged at the Olympics by France. Yeah, and then it was interesting to watch them sort of internalise that uh, finger pointing. You know that that the kids are coach's problem and and all that. And, and and when I first read about that, that after that loss, and they they felt like you know Popovich wasn't doing the right thing. I mean, the bloke is an absolute icon, and it'd be. Any team would would absolutely love to have him as a coach, but I think once they got to the house of mirrors and had a few heart to hearts inside their own locker room, I reckon um, that's when they were, you know, the coach is not that bad. It's actually our issue, uh, and then they've started playing better ever since then. But you know, there's there's no question there will be revenge, and when when and I'm saying it's not when, not if. So when they win the gold, they'll be able to say, yep. We took care of France. We got our revenge, and they'll be able to spin that in the US as just a just a little bit of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt about that. And so, as someone who had four Olympics, four closing ceremonies, and all of the fun and spectacle that goes along with it, do you think that the athletes at Tokyo who just get straight back on a plane have to come back to Australia and do fourteen days of hotel quarantine, like, are really missing out on something that that you now look back on with really fond memories? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it's a. On one hand, certainly grateful and pleased that the Olympics actually got up in this pandemic. Um, but for the athletes themselves, closing ceremony and the celebrations with teammates and other members of the Australian team, they're going to miss that this year. And then to make matters worse, like I know that the people that are going into Howard Springs for their quarantine, they're not even allowed to have a beer. So it's a dry camp, and so you know. After five years of preparation and sacrifice, etc., um, surely I'm calling on the Prime Minister to send her a couple of beers, mate. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, too. And uh, the boomers... I know Mark McGowan would. <laughs> yeah, oh, he would for sure. The state daddy would do it. And so tell me, before I let you go, did uh, the boomers teams in your day ever get up to the same sort of hijinks as the, the rugby sevens and the Ollie Roos that we've seen get into trouble in the last couple of days? I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. <laughs> Andrew Vlahov, four-time Olympian, basketball legend. Thanks for joining us on Let's Go Tokyo. A pleasure. Thanks, mate. Well, as we're sitting here today, uh, more bad news for the Aussies. Every time we come up against Team USA, we just can't quite get it done, and that was the case in beach volleyball. Yes, unfortunately, uh, the women of the United States have beaten our ladies in straight sets, and uh, that's a fantastic result for them, 21-15, 21 um, uh, Del Sole and uh, Clancy, our Australian pairing, unfortunately. Getting to the last match, which is a, a fantastic result in itself, but uh, the Americans just too good, too strong, yeah. too powerful, and uh, nice hot conditions over there in Tokyo, as it has been the whole way along. And unfortunately, no crowd. As you mentioned, Ben, it's so 
So much so in, in beach volleyball, in Olympics, where that's the crowd generates excitement and, and the buzz and the music, but a little bit uh, unlike that at the moment, but the Americans, full honours to them, and uh, they get us again, Benny, unfortunately. Yeah, but still a great achievement by the Australians. It was the first time we've been in a beach volleyball gold medal match in 21 years. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, as we said, beaten two sets to nil, and it uh, only took 44 minutes, so the Americans made short work of us. Hey... What about in the decathlon? Ashley Maloney, a bronze, um, as, of course, we, we saw in the West today. Um, and I love there's some vision, a pic of, of him and his teammate uh, urging him on uh, to keep going, to, to get that podium finish. So the Australians working in, in tandem to, to find a way for Maloney to take out a bronze. Fantastic performance on that front. Yeah, incredible. Like, I think any time an Aussie wins a medal in track and field, it's pretty special. It don't happen that often. And Maloney, you know, certainly did us all proud last night. Absolutely. Uh, and I refer to that moment. And um, a new gladiator, perhaps, uh, the Russell Crowe. In fact, we call Russell Australian, but he's effectively New Zealand. <laughs> but as it stands, we'll take him as an Australian. Um, and I'll How was Ash's response <laughs> when he found out that he was on the podium? Yes. <laughs> a classic, another classic Aussie F-bomb in Tokyo. Yeah, I'm not sure they've been media trained to the nth of the existence that some of these decathletes and athletes but anyway um, as I said Cedric Jubler who was running beside Maloney he said a few words to him and uh, some of which can't be uh, mentioned on air because of the um, obscenities lace but it was very much a case of get on your bike son finish off the 1500 metres and um, so Jubler ran beside him and, and helped him get across the line and um, that's a fantastic effort so he could remain in touch with American Garrett Scantling and how good was the evergreen Melissa Wu who we talked about yesterday today. She took bronze in the 10 metre platform. That's a great result. It is. And uh, as I said, I think fourth Olympics for her. That's terrific. And she just obviously started when she was 13 or 14, as they do in, in diving and skateboarding. Now they're the, the ages. I wonder, um, at what age are you uh, skateboarding? Obviously 13, you can compete. But the uh, the age of these athletes seems to just get to be getting younger and younger. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting to see if skateboarders have careers a bit like gymnasts, where they start young and end up finishing young. Like by the time you get to about twenty four, you're cooked. Well, it'd be hard if you're uh, five foot two at thirteen and then you're six foot three. <laughs> very hard to see you uh, executing the Logan Martin moves on a skateboard. If you do, though, as Danny Green said, he still rides his skateboard, but he is uh, a big kid at heart. Yeah, and let's talk about the golf. We've got a couple of chances there. Hannah Green is currently sitting in fourth as we stand here today at nine under in round three of the women's individual. Minji Lee has dropped back a bit. She's now in 28th at uh, two under. Yeah, good result, particularly for Hannah, who, as we mentioned, spent most of her uh, lead up to the Olympics in Perth and made it really tough for her to get some some golf in, given the conditions, etc. But uh, she's done terrifically well. Now, this could be the toughest event, and there's so many of them, the toughest event at the Tokyo Olympics, the men's 50k race walk. Um, Ridian Crowley came eighth this morning. Uh, they moved this walk away from central Tokyo, per se, to try and find a bit of relief with the weather. They started early at 5.30. But sent him up to that prison camp in Sapporo. <laughs> Sapporo. Now, I've got no idea what Sapporo's like. but I'm Beautiful. Just, beautiful. It's beautiful. But it was still steamy hot and really tough and you talk about the 50k walk these guys just were out there for for hour after hour after hour and um yeah that's that's got to be up there with one of the toughest uh, and we know the, the restrictions the rules with the walkers yeah, yeah. Um, the level of concentration the oh. muscle control to do it looks a bit weird but uh yeah certainly incredibly physically demanding by the end of it they are absolutely knackered you see them coming into the home stretch it's going to be interesting to see how it goes because traditionally come into the olympic stadium 
on the race walk, uh, go down the home straight of the uh, of the track, and it's a wonderful moment in front of a huge crowd. Totally not the case this year. No, which again, just another. Um vagary of these Olympics, we're missing out on that, that final uh, lap of honour, shall we say, but that's unfortunately uh, what all these athletes have had to become accustomed to in the past two weeks. Yeah, I guess the gold medals taste just as sweet and so let's look at the medal tally. Uh, Australia is still in fourth at the pointy end of this Games, which is wonderful. 17 gold, uh, which is the equal best, right, Skeet? I'm correct on that, right? Yep. yep equal best? Yep, and uh, look, they're a chance, obviously, to, to go yeah, past and, one more. And, and find their way into a, a place of rare air when it comes to, to gold medals. And, look, it's it's just been an outstanding Olympic Games, full stop. The swimmers have been the standout, which we always thought would be the case. But uh, some of these unexpected gold medals, I mean, a couple of gold in sailing has been terrific. Uh, well, skateboarding, skateboarding. You know, we've done across the across the board. Some really, really great results uh, at at the top of the medal table. Not much has really changed. Nothing has changed. China is still way out on front uh, in thirty four golds, followed by the USA and the host nation Japan, rounding out the top three. Yep, it is, and uh, no surprises with some of those nations up the top of the tally or uh, the leaderboard with the. The medals, uh, but Australia's gold's best since Athens 2004. So that's a fantastic result. Tokyo's top moments. Now, the men's 4x100 relay is another one of these blue ribbon events at the Games. And the shock yesterday was the US men's team not making the final. They would have been an absolute lock to make the final, uh, but they put in one of the all-time shocker performances. The changeovers were terrible. Uh, They weren't lined up right when they were coming into the changeover period. And the American athletics great Carl Lewis has absolutely put a rocket up them on Twitter. He said it's a national embarrassment, a disgrace. He said it's the sort of level you'd see in a college athletics meet, not what you expect from professionals. There was no leadership, he reckons, on the relay team. Absolutely blasted them. You have to wonder, given what Carl Lewis has just said, whether there was a touch of arrogance or complacency Mm -hmm. about the American team because they... I mean, they would ordinarily, you think, uh, be the team to beat or very close to it. Off the back of that, though, um, that's what happens with relays. I mean, if you don't get everything aligned properly with regards to changeovers, etc., it can, it can unravel pretty quickly. And maybe that's what happened with the Americans, but uh, some harsh words coming from the United States. Uh, what about our Belarusian sprinter, Kristasina? Simis Kaver, who's been reunited with her husband in Warsaw. Uh, the couple look to make a new life for themselves following, of course, her defection during the Games. Um, she arrived in Warsaw on Wednesday, uh, refused her coach's instructions to return to her homeland from Japan and was offered a humanitarian visa by Polish authorities. Um, Belarus was accused of kidnapping after the sprinter criticised the coaches. She was afraid of what was to come when she uh, went back home. That's uh, it's a, hor- it's it's a, a horrible movie. story. It is a movie. Uh, did we have a, a defection in Sydney as well, wasn't there? I that does ring a bell. And, and I think it probably happens at every Olympics because you've got so many countries involved and a lot of those countries aren't that amazing in how they treat their their people Uh, and I'm sure if you're an athlete who's at the top of your sport and you come to a country like Japan or Australia or America and you see the freedoms that exist in those countries you'd be thinking geez I'm not going back to where I came from no Fair call, uh, but that's just a, a terrible way for, for her to finish her Olympics, which I'm sure she was hoping would be filled with great memories, and now it's a, a mental scar for the rest of her life, most most likely. Yeah, and uh, we've got a strongest man in the world. In the sprinting, we have the fastest man in the world. In the weightlifting, it provides the strongest man in the world. And defending champion from Georgia, Lasha Taladza, again, has earned the unofficial title of world's strongest man. He lifted a new landmark, 223 kilos in the snatch, 260. 
65 kilos in the clean and jerk for a total of 488 kilos on Wednesday. I'm thinking of those numbers, and I'm thinking in this room... Uh, the weight combined between us, uh, he could lift all three of us and then probably double. Yeah. <laughs> it's just extraordinary. I'm talking about Kato, producer, you and I. That is just mind-boggling. Um, 223 kilos in the snatch, 265 clean and jerk, two, 488 in total. That yep. is um, staggering. Uh, and so he deserves that gold medal. Meanwhile, Spanish teenager Alberto Guinez Lopez has won the first Olympic gold medal in sport climbing. This is one of those new sports in Tokyo. No. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I I honestly, I. I like watching it. I have to say, it's quite an interesting spectacle. When's the next time you watch it? In three years, if it goes to Paris. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's not in Paris, I won't miss it. Yeah, the the sport. I don't know where they come up with some of these sports, but uh, this is one that I must admit I haven't given a lot of. eyeball time too, but nonetheless, congratulations to the the Spanish teenager, uh, Alberto Ginez Lopez. he got up a 15-metre wall in six seconds. It's like honestly like watching a spider monkey climb up a tree. Or like, Spider-Man. Yeah, or Spider-Man. It, it is absolutely freakish how they get up there. And you look at it and you go, geez, I wish I could do that. But, you know, does it belong at the Olympics? Eh, probably not. Probably uh, not. By the way, we haven't spoken too much about COVID cases, which has been a bit of a blessing over the past uh, 10 to 12 days. But organisers have announced that 31 new cases related to the Games on Thursday, another daily record. Wednesday saw 29 cases reported, which is a high uh, for what we've been going through. Uh, one athlete was among those announced on Thursday, another Greek artistic swimmer. And Greece withdrew from artistic swimming at the Games earlier in the week after its team tested positive for the virus. So... Uh, let's have a look at the latest numbers, the total numbers linked to the Olympics to 353 since July 1, which I suppose is they they would have been budgeting, dare I say it in those words, but budgeting for an amount to come out of the Games. Well, look, it doesn't sound that great, but you have to remember Sydney had 291 cases today. Yeah. Uh, and so to have uh, of the, you know, Tens of thousands of athletes, support staff, media in the Olympics uh, and to only have 353 cases since July 1 across that group I think is actually a pretty amazingly good job, especially when you take into account that Tokyo itself is setting new records for COVID infections around the city. So the Olympics exist in this little bubble that's surrounded by COVID. Uh, and so I have to say the the organisers deserve a bit of a pat on the back to getting to where they are. We haven't seen any competitions rescheduled, delayed, cancelled. A few people have missed out uh, after testing positive, but you know, I think they've been very lucky. No no real major competitors uh, have been rubbed out. Yeah, uh, that being said, they are in a very controlled environment as opposed to what's happening in New South Wales. We see people at Bondi Beach, etc. So yeah. it's a different <laughs> environment. It's a bit apples and oranges, but look, you're right. Uh, look, they've got through this and um, you have to give them credit for that, whether the game should have gone ahead or not. I think what it's done for Australians, particularly those in lockdown on the East Coast, has really given them something to hang their head on because um, the mental health and, and obviously the financial and, and the, the healthful stop of, of people on the East Coast has become a, a priority and uh, the Olympics have given us something all to to have a smile about. Yeah, absolutely. And now let's preview what's coming up because there's still so much to go. Even though we're in the definitely in the back nine of the Olympics, the uh, the action is no uh, no certainty of, sh- of slowing down, that's for sure. We've got Harry Garside, who we previewed yesterday with Danny Green on the show. He's going to be in the ring, guaranteed a bronze medal. 
Yep, taking on Andy Cruz, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, that happens later this afternoon uh, in the Javelin. Three Aussies in the women's Javelin throw final. Uh, Catherine Mitchell, uh, Mackenzie Little and Kelsey Lee Barber. That's on tonight just before 8 o'clock. How good is that? Three Aussies in the final. That's a remarkable effort when you think of it. Yeah, that's a, a huge r- result. And either way, we've done terrifically well. Yep, uh, in the 1500 metres, we've got Lyndon Hall and Jessica Hull in the final, which is also awesome. Uh, that's going to happen at 8.50 tonight. And, and in the race walk, three Aussies in the women's 20-kilometre race walk happening this afternoon, Katie Haywood, Rebecca Henderson and Jemima Montag. Absolutely. So that's going to be uh, must-viewing tomorrow afternoon as well. Uh, let's check on the next 24 hours, the women's marathon run. Three Australians in the final. That starts at 6am. Sinead Diver... Ellie Pashley, Lisa Jane Waitman, they are all going to be slugging out that gee, 42 kilometres. I talked about the men's walk. Um, I'm not sure what the start, 6 a.m. is the starting time. That is going to be a hell of a journey for all those athletes, uh, providing the heat is what it's been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and so humid as well. I think we'll see some uh, some runners in real, real trouble. Uh, but hopefully they hydrate, and it's the Aussies uh, that are standing at the end. Uh, in the water polo, the Stingers versus Netherlands, they're only playing off for fifth and sixth, but still a lot of pride attached to that. You can watch them tomorrow morning. And the high jump, the women's final, two Aussies are there. Nicola McDermott and Eleanor Patterson, 6.35. There's, I love the, the high jumpers because they don't get much time in the spotlight so that they put the sunglasses on and they, they do have a, a bit of yes, theatrics a bit of about it, a bit of swagger. <laughs> so, look, and, and I know um, I've been told at times, look, stop the carry-on, but I think athletics needs I think you need that. Personalities. Yeah, totally. And, you know, some of them are over the top. There's and, a bit of preening, a bit of... And I watched the qualifying yesterday, and Nicola McDermott and Eleanor Patterson, they both jumped the qualifying height of a metre 95. And if you've ever seen a metre Meter ninety five at the high jump, it, that is high. It is it's amazing. Like you wouldn't think a human being could jump that high, uh, and so they'll be looking to push past PBs to potentially make some waves in the finals. Just great to see two Aussies in there. Absolutely, uh, we wish them all the best. Uh, the men's pentathlon starts. Australian Ed Fernon competing starting at one thirty pm. And for those that don't know what's in the pentathlon, we've got fencing, two hundred meter freestyle swimming, show jumping, and a final combined event of pistol shooting and a three thousand two hundred meter cross country run so and that is uh, you talk about testing your uh, abilities in different you know, areas I thought I did know what pentathlon was but now that I've just heard you list that it's proven that I actually had no idea <laughs> yeah. what is it like the, it feels like it's the English gentleman event right like it's fencing and it's some freestyle show swimming jumping. and some show jumping and then let's do a cross country run gentlemen and a bit of pistol shooting yes all of the above um, that is how it rolls and uh, yeah the freestyle swimming I'm not sure where that comes into it but anyway it's uh, that's the pentathlon uh, 1.30 good luck to Ed from Australia, hopefully carrying uh, the hopes of a nation and, and a great result coming his way as well. Do you know what they should do? They should do it like bingo with uh, one of those uh, you know, those wheels full of ping pong balls with all of the sports from the Olympics in it and they just pull out five at random and that's what the pentathlon is this year. You've determined to try to create a new genre at the Olympics moving forward, Ben. I'm not sure it's going to take uh, much hold but uh, you're thinking outside the square. I think you've got Olympic fatigue. That's what I think you've been diagnosed <laughs> I've with. Gone crazy. And you've gone crazy. Uh, now we're going to go crazy good for the Boomers uh, against Slovenia as you mentioned, the bronze medal match. It might be bronze, but for this Australian team, it means so much because of what we've heard from Andrew Vlahov and the, the fourth placings, the disappointment, the heartbreak, knocked over by the Dream Team again. This is their chance. This is where we want them to really get to business, get the bronze, and just let this settle in your head. Finishing third in the world at the Olympics in basketball, no mean feat. You put the Americans right at the very top, but to finish in that third position would be to finish on the podium 
Outstanding. Exactly. And my philosophy when it comes to bronze medals is if you squint at them hard enough, they kind of do look like a gold. <laughs> I'm telling you now, uh, they will take that every day of the week. They've worked so hard. And Paddy Mules, uh, we saw the emotion on his face yesterday at, uh, at full time. These Australians have got something about them. So, look, defensively, they were terrific for probably three quarters against the United States. Fell away, hurt them. If they can put together a more rounded performance against Slovenia, bronze medal Fingers crossed. Yep, fingers crossed indeed. And that's it from us today. You can catch all the action from the Olympics at thewest.com.au. Join Skeet and I on Monday as we wrap up the final days of the Tokyo Games over the weekend and we'll speak to a very special gold medalist from Tokyo. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.